Good morning and happy 4th of July from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Certainly hope you're enjoying your holiday weekend. Later, Kentucky's 2022 U.S. Senate election is beginning to take shape. We'll hear from Democrats hoping to take on Republican Senator Rand Paul. Ruth Gow will join us in studio and uh, Charles Booker announced it late in the week. But first, an update on how Kentucky's economy is going right now. Businesses statewide are trying to come back from the pandemic and deal with tough worker shortages. We're going to hear from the state's largest business group, the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce. Kentuckians are now eligible for a $1,500 bonus from the state for going back to work. That's proving to be controversial. And the calls continue from many business leaders for Governor Bashir to end the $300 in extra weekly federal unemployment benefits. And the opioid crisis appears to have deepened during the pandemic. The Chamber is advising businesses to be ready to address substance abuse issues out there. Ashley Watts is CEO of the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, the first woman to head up the important organization, and she joins us today. Welcome. Good to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you know, when we start uh, talking about Kentucky's business challenges right now, and there are many certainly coming back from the pandemic, we all quickly zero in on that workforce issue. Uh, folks are telling us it is tough out there. It is the number one thing that we hear about every single day from all of our members. And I think there may be a, a perception that it's just in the retail and restaurant space because you see those signs as you drive up and down your main street on your town. But it really is every single industry here in Kentucky. It's manufacturing, it's healthcare, it's education, it's finance. Every employer is really having a hard time with workforce. Kentucky, even prior to the pandemic, we had a very low workforce participation rate, uh, which means the number of able-bodied people that were actively engaged in our workforce. And of course, as with many things, that the pandemic heightened a lot of our inequities. And so over this last year, there are over 100,000 people that have left the workforce in Kentucky from last March. What are the factors in that low workforce participation? Well, and, and we say this a lot, it's a multifaceted problem, and that's why we talk about multifaceted faceted solutions. Mm -hmm. One obviously is the pandemic. People were laid off for their job for safety reasons, businesses closed, etc. But now as businesses are reopened fully, uh, the, the, the positivity rate has gone down, vaccinations have gone up, we really need people to start going back into work. And so that was one of the largest parts. But there's also the child care issue. During the last year, child care in many instances was closed. We know that women in particular during this last year have had a very difficult time in the workforce. Three times the number of women have dropped out of the workforce versus men. And a lot of that has to do with childcare and just juggling your own work and your children's homeschooling, virtual schooling, whatever you were doing this last year. What are businesses telling you about their struggles and how much is that holding them back from being able to uh, build business? It, it, is a, it is the biggest factor right now. You probably will see signs that, you know, dining rooms are not open in restaurants or, or businesses are not fully reopened. That really is not because of the pandemic anymore. It's because they do not have the workforce. And one of the things that we have talked to the governor's office and legislative leaders about is the additional $300 on the federal side for unemployment insurance benefits. As of today, 25 states have discontinued that and have phased that out, trying to get people back into the workforce. 
Kentucky did not choose to do that. That decision lies with the governor's office, and he decided to go the route of the incentive, of the $1,500 incentive to get people back to work. At this point, from the business perspective, employers, they're frankly desperate to get workers. And so we know that there's going to be many parts of this solution moving forward. This is one part of it. We think that phasing out the unemployment insurance benefits from a federal level is part of it, investing in child care. But this is a, an issue that we will be dealing with probably for years coming up. So you have made the case to the governor that the $300, in addition to the normal unemployment, is too lucrative uh, for those uh, who are without a job right now. We have. And, and, and the numbers that you look at when you talk about that is that if you look at the unemployment insurance benefits here in Kentucky, it averages out between 18 to $20 an hour. That's hard for a lot of employers to match. And especially if you add in childcare, transportation, or the cost coming in um, with having a job. And so we don't need the government to be competing against, we don't need employers to be competing against the government for, for jobs. And so that is one of the factors that 25 other states have decided to go ahead and phase those benefits out. They are going to phase out in September anyway. And so at this point, you do have to give the federal government 30 days notice before you do it. So now that we're into July, uh, we're getting to that point where it would almost be moot anyway. But we have talked to the governor's office and legislative leaders about this pretty frequently over the last couple of months. We know he has made the case that this is putting about $34 million a week into the economy. Uh, is that uh, a drop in the bucket compared to what might happen if uh, there were more people working and the businesses could uh, step things up? Yeah, that argument, you know, uh, paychecks also go into the economy. Paychecks also give people the ability to spend money and to put that money back in the economy. And we really think that's the way that we need to do this. Some people are, are calling for, uh, you know, this incentive to get people to go back to work. They were calling for it ahead of time. Republicans Agriculture Commissioner Ryan Quarles, who may run for governor himself, uh, called for it a couple of weeks uh, uh, before uh, it happened. This $1,500 bonus was then announced by the governor. And then there were many who were you know, considered that very controversial. Mm -hmm. Some called it uh, socialism. It was, uh, it was uh, roundly attacked in some areas. Where does the, you know, the Kentucky Federation of Retailers mm -hmm. is for it? Where does the chamber come down? We were supportive as well. You know, philosophically, is it a great idea to have this kind of ideal continue? Probably not. But right now, employers, like the Retail Federation has said, they're so desperate to get employees back. And so the first 15,000 people that apply for this bonus will receive it. Out of 100,000 people that have left the workforce, if we can get 15,000 back into jobs, we have to do it. We have to kind of do right now whatever we can to get people back into the workforce. And if it takes using monetary incentives, we need to at least look to pursue that. What are you telling uh, businesses and employers about uh, child care issues. You know, some daycares uh, literally closed during mm -hmm. the pandemic and have not reopened. This is another issue where in Kentucky we had issues with child care deserts and child care availability before the pandemic. And of course, this heightened that as well. And so employers, I think, if you look across Kentucky, have been very flexible over the last year. We've encouraged them to be as flexible as they can with working parents, knowing the reality of what was going on over the last year. We do expect more federal money to be coming down through the states to help with child care costs. And then also, now that we're into July, there will be some child care subsidies that most families in Kentucky will get. So that will help as well. 
I know like uh, the elementary teachers uh, that we had back in the day are probably saying put your, as you put your thinking cap on and try to come up with a solution to this overall uh, employment issue out there. Uh, do you get a sense that there, there's something else going on that, that maybe it, it is more than just the unemployment benefits that are available and the, you know, and the, the, the incentives and the concern that lingers about uh, uh, being out there during uh, the hopefully tail end of the pandemic? I do think it's all of that. It's childcare, it's the unemployment issue, it's fears about say, you know, the safety of going back to work, people that are vaccinated versus people that are not. So it's all these different things kind of at one time and we've never really dealt with anything like it. What employers are now struggling with is kind of the, the talent attraction and making sure that when they do have staff, they can keep them. And so you do see employers, I think all across the Commonwealth, being really uh, creative in the ways that they're incentivizing getting workforce and keeping their workforce and keeping their talent. And so I don't think this trend is going to go anywhere. And so right now, you know, it is a good time to look for a job here in Kentucky. There weren't, are plenty of jobs available. Uh, weren't some of these jobs uh, previously done by teenage workers or college uh, workers in their spare time? It's interesting and I think we'll learn more about this as we go through the next couple of months because nothing like this has really been researched yet and we're talking to uh, our economists over at UK about diving into this a little bit more and I have said before you know when I turned 16 I couldn't wait to get a job and I worked at a movie gallery and I was a lifeguard and I babysat and right now I do think a lot of the younger generation are not quite we're going into the workforce at the numbers they used to be. That may be because of safety, that may be because of more involvement in sports and extracurricular activities, but I do think that needs to be very much part of the discussion when we see some of these very entry-level jobs at fast food restaurants, retails, lifeguards that are not being able to be filled there is more to it than just probably the unemployment insurance issue. There is probably an issue of younger adults or teenagers going into the workforce. There was some talk also of a disruption of training programs, uh, you know, during the, the, the mm -hmm. pandemics, some that required in-person training, maybe truck driving, some other things. Uh, are we doing a good job? Are we back to doing a, a job of returning to matching the training out there to the jobs that are available uh, here in the Commonwealth? We are doing, I think, our best in the Commonwealth. Commonwealth. We have a program right now in connection with uh, the Education and Workforce Cabinet called Talent, Talent Pipeline Management. And it's literally looking at industries throughout Kentucky that are growing and trying to see how many jobs they will need in the future and then matching that up with education so that we're really training our students for the jobs that will be available in the Commonwealth. And so I do think Kentucky is doing a good job on that. But obviously the last year things had to change. Things are not in person. We're doing more virtual training. And so a word that we use quite a bit these days is upskilling. There is a great opportunity to upskill our workforce right now as we move out of this pandemic. Right before the pandemic, uh, substance abuse identified as just a huge problem out there for uh, employers uh, and employees. Uh, it is It chased us into the pandemic and it is here maybe worse uh, after the pandemic. And yet there are success stories as well. Uh, and there's research that talks about how those who suffer from addiction may be uh, really are goal-oriented. Uh, they bring a lot to the table uh, if they can be helped. 
Absolutely. And this is another case of the, the pandemic kind of heightening these inequities. We know there have been more overdose deaths in Kentucky than really ever before. And so in a year where there was isolation and job loss and you couldn't see your family or friends, people who already struggled with substance use disorder, those were heightened. We have been really trying to do a good job at the chamber of encouraging businesses to be fair chance employers. We do have a website who's hiring um, that actually highlights those fair chance employers across Kentucky because we know that a job is really key to success and a key to making sure people stay on the right track. A fair chance means what? Fair chance means second chance. Yeah. So giving people a second chance if they are struggling with substance use disorder or if they've been incarcerated. And we're seeing more and more employers every day really make, you know, making that effort to be a fair chance employer. And especially when employers are really looking for talent and looking for employees, this is a great time to look at being a fair chance employer because there is a great network of people out there who deserve a second chance and will be a great employee. We're a second chance employer at the Kentucky Chamber, and I can attest um, that those that we have hired are some of the best and most qualified and dedicated employees that we have. You know, federal money has uh, really flowed into Kentucky to uh, help businesses and, and, and even the state and local governments uh, uh, make ends meet. Do you have concerns? Uh, you know, the economy seems to be picking up rather quickly right now. Do you have concerns that Maybe in Kentucky we are too propped up by that and that there may be a, a, you know, a bubble set to burst when some of that ends? I do think we have to be cognizant of it. Even when the legislature was looking at the budgetary process and the budget for the next year, we do realize that a lot of this federal money that is coming down to all the states will go away. We've also seen inflation go up the last couple of months like no time we've seen in the last couple of decades. And so while economically we can look at the numbers and say Kentucky's still on the right track, we do need to look at more factors than just that. We need to look at our workforce. We need to see, you know, our education levels and everything that goes into it. So I do think it's something we must keep our, our finger on the pulse of. The chamber's been working with UK economists to produce quarterly economic reports as we come out of the pandemic to make sure that lawmakers and, and business leaders are really making sure that we're following that as we come out of the pandemic so that we don't lose sight of it because a lot of this money will dry up in the next couple of years. Do you have a big uh, agenda and set of priorities for the legislature here six months before they meet? Yes, we are working on that as always. Um, we had a very successful legislative session last year um, where we were able to prevent employers from having to pay an increased unemployment insurance tax increase. We were able to, to pr um, prevent some protection on COVID liability uh, for employers across the state, but we were not able to secure infrastructure investment. And so I sound like a broken record many times, but the chamber will again be fighting for increased infrastructure investment in the Commonwealth. You know, for instance, uh, the Brent Spence Bridge, mm -hmm. it is believed that uh, it looks like now more and more likely there will be federal legislation. Uh, but most people say none of those deals will have enough money to get that project going. It will require uh, some state and maybe local effort. Absolutely, and there may be even a state match as part of the federal bill that comes through. Hopefully, we will get a bipartisan bill here soon, but it still is very critical that we do increase our infrastructure investment here in Kentucky. At this point, Missouri just raised their gas tax, I think, two months ago at the end of their legislative session, and so now all of our surrounding states here in Kentucky have made that commitment, and they know that is what really does increase economic development and increase jobs in their state. They have all raised their gas tax in the last couple of years, and Kentucky has not. Ashley Watts, always good to see you. Thanks for coming in from the Kentucky Chamber. Thanks so much for Appreciate having me. It. Stay with us now on Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll be right back with Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Ruth Gow. That and more on the way.
Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. It looks like Kentucky could have a lively election year coming up in 2022. Two Democrats have now announced plans to run for their party's nomination in hopes of denying Republican Senator Rand Paul a third term in Washington. This week, Ruth Gow and Charles Booker announced campaigns for the Democratic nomination. Here's a clip of what Booker said in Louisville. And I'm going to cause some good trouble, and I'm going to speak up for you. I'm going to represent the people of Kentucky from the hood to the holler and everywhere in between. But Booker will have to win a primary first, and there is at least one other candidate. Ruth Gow got into the race this week. She says she wants to be the first millennial woman elected to the Senate. That was part of her announcement video with the cat. We'll ask about that. Gow joining us now here on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thanks so much for having me. The cat was prominent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, part, of the, part of the team. <laughs> That's huh? important to me. Oh, right. uh, give us a little background uh, about yourself and, and, and what led up to this announcement. Yeah, absolutely. So my husband and I, we live in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I have, as mentioned, um, I have a background in education. I worked in higher education um, and have a PhD in education as well. Um, I also have worked in the service industry, even through COVID, worked as a, an essential worker in the service industry. Um, kind of what led me to this point, um, my journey looks different than a lot of politicians that you're used to seeing. Um, but uh, seeing, well, one was my local state rep, um, so I got in contact with her, learned from her um, to have someone who is easily accessible. She's also young, who really cares about her people, kind of inspired me, and I was like, you can do this. There's someone out there who is doing this. Um, and then as we moved in last year to the election, um, seeing a lot of just the tensions that were across the nation, um, a lack of care for humans. I human dignity. I think that that's very important to me. Um, and so wanting to bring human dignity back to Washington, wanting to represent the younger generation. And um, yeah, so you talk about becoming the first millennial woman in the U.S. Yes. Senate should you be elected. What perspective would that bring to the table that you think is lacking? Yes, that's a great question. So um, looking at the Senate right now, um, the average age of most senators is in the 60s, in their 60s. Um, and I believe that we as a younger generation we're facing issues that are different than our parents generation with um, student loan a student loan debt um, housing situations low wage um, and so it's important to have voice in the Senate so that as our generation faces these problems we have someone who can advocate for that and help ensure the next generation is well prepared for priority issues for you are um, so we're um, looking at priority issues we're looking to launch uh, campaign trip across the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of what's going to be important to me there is listening. I strongly believe in listening to the people, listening to people of our generation um, and creating that campaign platform that really speaks to them. What does your experience in education bring to the table, do you think? Um, I think my experience in education, it brings to the table um, empathy. It's very important as an educator, compassion, a desire also to educate um, the electorate. I want to keep them informed on not just issues that are often um, very partisan, but understanding what is going on and why it's important for us to have these conversations. Charles Booker ran a statewide campaign. He gained a lot of name recognition, made a lot of connections around the state uh, during that. Uh, how do you see rolling through a primary season uh, with Booker as your opponent? Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to um, what this means for Democrats, being able to have a good primary, being able to have those conversations. Um, so I'm looking forward to, as we travel across the state, being able to listen, being able to um, bring those issues up and let the people be heard. Do you have uh, uh, complaints about Booker, uh, his approach to, to issues? I'll say personally, um, I have never met Booker. I don't know Booker um, personally yet. And so I think, um, again, it's just about listening to the people. Um, that's what's most important, not my personal issues. Would you debate him if you had the opportunity? 
that's not a question that's arisen yet. Um, but I would say I would talk to my team about that. I do think conversations are important. Um, so if that question arose, then we'd address that then. If you get the chance to take on Senator Rand Paul, that is, if you are the Democratic mm -hmm. nominee, uh, what case would you make to Kentucky voters uh, who have elected and re-elected him to the U.S. Senate that he should be denied a third term? Mm -hmm. um, I think I don't know him either, um, but looking at news, looking at his policies, looking um, at social media, I think a challenge I would have to them is do they feel that he truly cares about all Kentuckians across the state, um, whether they voted for him or not, whether they agree with him or not? Um, looking at, for example, what happened January 6th at the Capitol, um, is the true safety and the true concern of the people of America a priority for him? So I would challenge them to think about that as they think about who they're going to elect. Do you have concerns about the overall direction of the country right now? Do you think things have, are, are on the right track? Overall in the country, um, I think that does depend where you look um, and who you look at. Um, I do definitely have concerns. I think a lot of people in our younger generation have concerns, especially as we think about growing old and having children um, in this country. But I also see a lot of hope because I see people who are interested in getting into politics who want to have these conversations. Um, and so I think that if we can continue to have these conversations and help each other, encourage each other, have each other's back, um, that there is a lot of hope for the country. Would you say uh, that you know when you are uh, talking with young people and you're saying that mm -hmm. you know you want to bring that voice to the table, that they are engaged out there at this point? Uh, you know. The, the knock has been on young voters that they get excited, go to rallies, and sometimes don't vote in the numbers that older uh, Americans and Kentuckians do. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there, are, there is, as you're saying, a lot of engagement and issues, a lot of care and concern. I think sometimes they get disenfranchised with the system, um, but I think that's part of why it's important to have younger um, officials because they can bring these concerns, they can connect with the people, and I think we'll be able to engage the younger generation. Um, and if they feel that their voice is being heard, I think that will also increase their engagement. How do you see this campaign rolling out? I mean, how, how do you do this? Do you yeah. travel the state aggressively and go to uh, places, try to hold rallies, or will it at first be you know smaller events where you just get to know people in local areas? Yeah, so I am working with my team on this, but um, we definitely want to travel um, throughout the Commonwealth to all the corners, um, because to me it's very important to listen to people. Um, and so that's going to be a big part Part of my strategy is ensuring that we're getting out um, to people, farmers, you know, miners, people in the city, listening to them, listening to their stories and listening to their needs so that all of Kentucky feels heard. How do you expect to finance this race? And, and, and do you have concerns about you know, if you turn to uh, gathering a lot of donations uh, that then those come with some sort of expectation uh, once a, a candidate gets elected? Um, so we're looking to finance this race grassroots. Um, we really believe in the power of the people, um, and so wanting to create that buy-in of this is important to get a young person elected to the Senate. This is important to have someone who really wants to listen to the issues of the voice of the people. Um, I want to see our donations coming from that type of um, the group of people. Booker appears to have uh, some support from out of state. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any groups that uh, have taken interest in, in your effort? Uh, we're still currently working on growing our donation pool and. Um, yeah, working on all those details. When did you make this decision? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a journey. Okay. Um, but I think I would say around last year with the election, um, seeing again just that divisiveness, um, the partisanshipness. Um, January 6th, I remember coming home um, from work and my husband had been like watching it on the news and being like, what is happening? Um, that was definitely a big incentive to me of we, need, we can't have this happen again. We need more voices. Um, we need younger voices who are going to seek to see a better future for our country. And did you consider uh, you know, an intermediate step between not being involved in mm -hmm. politics at all and running for the U.S. Senate? I mean, <laughs> of know. course. 
course. You know, some take those yes. incremental steps. You, you do a council race or a, or a house seat or whatever in the beginning. Yes, yes. Um, well, looking at the issues that are dealt with in Senate in yeah. the Senate, um, a lot of those issues are things that do affect us as young people and will affect us until we grow older and our children. Um, and so that lack of having that voice really inspired me to seek to be one of those voices. Ruth Gow, thanks for coming by. We appreciate <laughs> it very you. much. All right, and we'll be following your campaign. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate that. And we'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers in just a moment.